0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and I just finished recording an interview with a very knowledgeable CPA who's the co-founder of Integrated Financial Group. And what we discussed is taxes, but don't let that turn you off taxes as it relates to foreign national investors. So if you're looking to invest in the United States or you have been investing in the United States, you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. Chris specializes in taxes for non-resident and non-US citizens that are looking to buy or already purchasing investment property in the United States. He has some great advice and we stop to look at estate taxes, withholding taxes, uh, how to structure your entities. Now, this is not case-specific. We had to be somewhat general, but there's so much great content. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode as we talk to him about purchasing property here in the U.S. So I hope you find this episode informative because tax laws can be complicated, but it really comes down to a case-by-case basis. So stay tuned. We'll be back in 30 seconds.
1: Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide.
0: All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Chris Picuro. He is the executive officer and co-founder of Integrated Financial Group. This guy has a list of credentials longer than my arm. So I'm just going to highlight some of the stuff here. He has over 15 years experience as a CPA, including an adjunct instructor at Davenport University. He's an accounting instructor uh, with an MBA program. I think I got that right. He's a graduate of Michigan State University, has an MBA from the University of Detroit. Uh, He's extremely knowledgeable when it comes to taxes, especially as it relates to foreign investors His list goes on and on, and uh, I'm not sure what this means, but Chris maybe can tell us a little bit about it, but Rich Dad Educational Events. Anyway, Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Marco. It's good to talk to you again. How are you?
0: I'm doing fantastic. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show here because we work with investors not only around the United States, but around the world, and a lot of them come from Canada, Australia, England. We have some people from Japan, so it varies. It varies. And I know you can talk a lot about taxes as they relate to citizens within and outside the United States. But uh, for today, at least, I want to put more of a focus on taxes as they relate to foreigners investing within the country. And so that's kind of framing this episode. But let's start off by talking about where you're located and maybe you can explain this Rich Dad educational event.
1: Sure. Well, absolutely. Well, we our headquarters is in the Detroit area, so outside of Detroit and Michigan, although the scope of our practice is not only throughout the United States, but it's throughout the world. We uh, specialize in assisting non-U.S. residents that buy investment property here in the United States. Uh, We have been very fortunate to work with clients in over 40 different countries at this point, and our client base spans over 30 U.S. states as far as uh, where these investments are taking place and the real estate and property management professionals that we work with also. so when I say that we help u s non-residents with their uh, that invest in the United States, I mean that we help them with their tax planning, their tax preparation, uh, consulting as far as what type of entity they should be, and consulting with as far as a state tax <clears throat> so that is the focus of our organization, um, as far as working on the Rich Dad events, we have been a part of uh, discussing asset protection and tax planning for not only U.S. residents that buy investment property here in the United States, but also non-residents that attend the events. So it's been we've had a great time uh, attending those events and being able to to talk about our piece of that puzzle for an hour to an hour and a half at various locations in the United States, and we've also done that internationally. So it's a great time. I have a passion for traveling, a passion for real estate, and I just happen to be decent at doing numbers. So that's how I got into this this business. And I think if you have a passion for something, um, even if it's not your core competency, you, you can figure out a way to parlay your core competency into doing things that you find fun.
0: Sure. And and you've been doing this for over 15 years. So obviously, it's something you you enjoy and know well. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, I think, with with investors. I mean, we get questions from our clients from time to time about uh, whether they should set up this type of entity or that type of entity within the US how to hold title, uh, the tax implications. And, you know, we don't get into tax and legal advice, we always refer them to professionals like yourself or, or have them talk to their own tax and and legal advisors. Um, You know, a good percentage of our foreign investors come from Canada. uh, And I know there's differences between one country and another as it relates to the U.S. But I think the best place to start is at a high level. And maybe you can start off by telling us, you know, what foreigners need to consider when they're purchasing U.S.-based real estate.
1: Absolutely. So... Um, you we have several clients from Canada and we've we've been all over the place there uh, meeting with with property owners and prospective property owners and we truly enjoy meeting our neighbors from Canada in fact, one of our offices in in the Metro Detroit area uh, is right across the river from Canada so we do a lot of work with the Canadians and what everyone has to remember is that and I apologize if my voice cracks a little bit I uh, uh, been, I've been talking a lot, which makes my wife really unhappy. So she's going to be really happy when my, my voice is gone. But um, what, makes, what, what makes things interesting for, for investors is that we have to look at a multitude of factors to assist them in coming up with a strategy for structuring their investment. Um, one of, one of, with some of the things they can control, some of the things they can't control. So let's first, from a 30,000-foot view, look at the United States uh, tax rules for rental income for a non-U.S. resident. Um, Unfortunately, our tax code calls these folks non-resident aliens. We we don't like to use that term. Right. Uh, So we like to use the term a, a, a foreign national. So we have something called FERPTA in this country, which was enacted in 1980, and it's to make a long story short, it's just a law that dictates the tax collection of, for income related to rental, um, rental income and the disposition of rental property. It also pertains to other types of income. For the purpose of this podcast, we're going to focus on that. And what FERPTA says is that if you're, if you're a foreign national or a non US resident and you have investment here in the United States in real estate, and that real estate produces income, whoever the property manager is or whoever your paying agent is, it could be a realtor, it could be a property manager, um, is required to withhold 30% of your gross rental income and send it into the IRS. And you as the foreign national need to file a tax return at the end of the year and attempt to get that money back. So what we do for our for our foreign nationals is by, through structuring and through planning we make sure we don't pay the 30% gross income tax. Yeah, there might be some income taxes to pay here in the United States, but those tax rates are very low in compared to other countries. So that's why uh, investing in the United States is attractive to many foreign nationals. Also if structured properly due to the Canadian-US tax treaty, an investor will avoid double taxation. Which means, quite simply, if you're Canadian and you have to pay some U.S. tax here on your rental income, you get a credit for that tax in Canada and you don't have to pay the tax twice, and vice versa. So Canadians thinking about investing in the United States have to think, okay, well, I don't like having to pay 30% of my gross income in tax, so I'm going to properly identify myself and structure my investment and fill out the proper compliance forms. And secondly... Um, they have to consider the income. So that's the income tax, uh, considerations, but they have to consider a state tax and they also have to have to consider asset protection. Um, so if somebody is concerned about asset protection, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners of this podcast are and investors are, the chic thing to do would be to form an LLC. Right. So that is, um, and unfortunately, specifically for Canadians, the Canadian Revenue Agency, not to get too technical here, we, we do want to keep people awake without having to hit another cup of coffee. Yeah. But quite simply, Canadians uh, that are investing in the United States, if they form an LLC, the issue is is at this point, the Canadian Revenue Agency has um, looks at that LLC as a corporate entity, not a, not a flow-through entity. So, and,
0: so what you're saying is they lo- lose the ability to have that LLC as a simple flow-through entity for tax purposes, which we can do within the U.S. as a U.S. resident. We just flow it through to our personal tax return. But as a Canadian or maybe as another foreign national, you're saying you can't do that?
1: Correct. You, well, you can't, you're correct. You cannot use an LLC at this point and avoid double taxation due to the CRA's view of the LLC. Now, that puts Canadian investors in a pickle from the asset protection side of things because they they can easily come here and buy the property in their own name. That's actually the most simple way to do things, but they do lose that asset protection. So, um, So we have to talk to that client. We have to look at their time horizon, their investment amount, and what their intention is. Is for this property? Is it to be held as a legacy property for their family, to produce income for them? Is it to be uh, owned for a short period of time and potentially flipped? Is it to be held for a intermediate period of time, potentially sold and reinvested into a new property? Um, something that you might be familiar with in partake in what's called a Form a ten thirty one exchange, meaning you're exchanging the you're selling one property and buying another property for about for at least the same value, right? right. Uh, and that gets tactical. We could do a whole podcast just on on that, but but the point is, is get to know the clients, understand their personal situation, what their time horizon, investment amount, their intention for the property is, what their personal income tax rate is, and what their, you know, some factors to consider would potentially be their health, Um, because we also want to reduce the state tax exposure. So, we just have to ask the right questions, get to know the clients, and make sure that their investment in the United States real estate is something is structured properly. We always say you never let the tax tail wag the dog right so if it's a good if it's a good deal, it's a good deal we're just gonna we're gonna make sure their tax situation is taken care of in a in a cost effective manner so
0: everything you you're you're telling me prompts two other questions you know, you're talking about the tax treaty that the U.S. has with Canada. I know the U.S. has tax treaties with other countries, other states, other jurisdictions. So is is this also true for foreign national investors in other countries, whether it be, uh, you know, in Great Britain, Australia, uh, maybe Japan, is, does the same thing apply to these countries?
1: Absolutely, except those countries might look at the LLCs differently. Um, Canada is a little bit unique in that way. So we ha- with, with the United States tax code, there are certain countries that we have a tax treaty with. There are certain t- countries that are no tax treaty countries. So depending on what country you live in or what country you're a tax resident in, would affect the planning and your investment. Um, in general, the countries that the U.S. plays nice with they have a tax treaty with the countries. They don't play nice with, probably don't have a tax treaty, so that would affect withholding weights, rates, estate planning, um, and and uh, like I said, a, v- a variety of different issues. Doesn't mean don't make your investment. I mean, like I said, a good deal is always a good deal. Right. Let's structure it properly. So for cr- for clients that are in countries that don't have a favorable tax treaty, what they may choose to do here. Is they might choose to form an LLC, and and make a corporate tax election to avoid the the withholding. I mean, there's like I said, we're not trying to get technical here. It's just um, it comes down to knowing your clients, and that's why for for folks like your 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 clients or listeners of the podcast, we're going to offer them a 30 minute complimentary consultation just to see what their situation is and and what direction they, you know, they should go in.
0: Sure. Well, I appreciate that.
1: Oh, no problem. And that's, and and that's because a little bit of a little bit of time planning is going to prevent a, a lot of headaches in the future potentially.
0: So let l- let me drill down just a little further on the LLC topic, uh, not to get too granular, but I want to understand it a little better. You know, I, I mentioned I mentioned this to you before we started recording here. There's a lot of different opinions out there, and let's just call it misinformation when it comes to LLCs. For U.S. residents, it's a powerful tool. I love LLCs. I use them for my own businesses and my own personal holdings. But when it comes to foreign investors, foreign nationals, does an LLC make sense at any point in time? Is it a tool that they can use or should use in particular situations?
1: Absolutely. I would say the majority of our clients that our foreign nationals uh, acquire property through an LLC. An LLC is what we call a boutique entity. What that means is that there's a ton of flexibility. There's flexibility not only in ownership percentage and profits and management, but there's also um, flexibility in how that LLC is treated for tax purposes here domestically in the United States. An LLC, from a technical standpoint, um, could be taxed, as a disregarded entity, if there's only one owner, the LLC could be taxed as a partnership. The LLC could elect to be taxed as an S. Well, if it's a foreign national, not an S corporation, but the LLC could be taxed as a corporate corporate entity here, uh, if if that makes sense. So there's tons of flexibility with the LLC. The issue with specifically with Canadians is that um, the CRA, like I said, doesn't doesn't look at the LLC as a, as a flow through entity. It c- treats it as a corporate entity. So, uh, and Marco, I'm going to send you a little bit of information on that, that I, if you want to share with the podcast listeners, because here's what happens. People say, I don't like that answer. So that can't be right. But I'm going to, I'm going to send you some articles, some third party articles and some research that's been done and some uh, case history on this, on this situation. I'll send you some links after the sure. the podcast on this, but so what we do with our Canadian owners is we we assess the situation. We determine if asset protection is is a big issue for them. I mean, quite frankly, if someone's going to acquire one home that's $60,000, I don't know that asset protection is, is forming an entity is that big of a deal because they're still going to have some type of property insurance. And... Um, you know that's up to the that's up to the the owner. I mean, there's a, you have to look at the compliance costs versus the risk mitigation versus the benefit of it. Now, if someone's going to invest a, in you know a, a, an apartment building or a three home portfolio, and they're Canadian and they want and let's say they have a let's say they're worried about asset protection, then we do we have a couple options. Um, and like I said, not trying to get too technical, but there's there are two basic formation options. I mean, there are thousands of formation options, but two basic ones, if you want to accomplish the, um, just avoiding in, in one option, you're actually avoiding the FERP to withholding altogether, but also, uh, obtaining the, um, uh, the asset protection. Right. So the first option would be what we call a two tier structure where a Canadian owner forms a Canadian limited company with, in Canada that Canadian limited company then purchase uh, forms a subsidiary US corporation and the US corporation then owns the homes those the advantage of that structure briefly is that it provides you with some estate tax benefits because the court the properties owned by the corporation provides the actual owners of the two corporations some anonymity here in the United States and it provides them with asset protection because the homes are technically owned by a domestic U.S. corporation. So the two-tier structure is popular. And then there's the there's the LLP structure. So since a Canadian Canadian shouldn't own the property in an LLC, they form a limited lia- limited liability partnership, in which that now to be an an LLP or limited liability partnership, we have to have one we have to have something, and that something is more than one owner. So you have either you have either a husband or wife or two business partners become owners of the LLP. Thus, there's more than one owner in this investment, and then they form an LLP as opposed to an LLC. If, if you have, let's say, you have someone that's a single person, um, they're making the investment on their own. They don't want to create a U.S. corp, but they want the asset protection. Well, then you what you would do is you would create a. You might have a Canadian corporation or a U.S. corporation, one of the two, and you would have the Canadian individual, and those two would be partners, one a general partner, one a limited partner, of the LLP. So really, you're taking one person, creating some type of entity so that you can have two owners, and you get the LLP treatment. So, like I said, not trying to get too technical. We don't want to put people to sleep here. But the point is, is if you're Canadian, I mean, the it's... It's very attractive to invest in the United States. Um, they represent, uh, they've they represented for several years. This year is a little bit different, um, because the Chinese just took over as the number one invest, you know, investment group in the United States by foreign nationals, but not, not by much, not much larger than the Canadians. But for a long, the last five, six years, Canadians have been the, the majority uh, purchaser of U.S. property by um, foreign nationals.
0: Yeah. So we're seeing a lot of inflow, uh, from foreign capital, particularly from, uh, China. I, 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 call that, uh, you know, capital flight, you know, people are just trying to move their currency out of their own country into safer quote unquote countries. <laughs> so. Uh, exactly. So here's a question for clarification cause you, you covered quite a bit there. You referred to the U S entity that's helped by the foreign investor as a corporation. Are you using that term in in the general sense, meaning that that corporation could be a corporation or an LLC here in the U.S.? Or are you referring to the corporation specifically as a corporation?
1: I see. It could be be an LLC um, that elects to be taxed as a corporation, or it could be a a real corporation. And I, I say that because, so from a technical perspective, a single member LLC, meaning there's only one owner, is a disregarded entity. So if if a foreign corporation owns an LLC and the LLC is disregarded, then the property is just owned by the foreign corporation and you don't have a two-tier structure anymore. So the the LLC would elect to be taxed as a US corp. Or it could be an LLC that elects to be taxed as a US corp. Okay. So or another, I mean or you, some of our Canadian owner clients um, that, are, that are just getting their feet wet, maybe they're buying one property, a lot of them already have a Canadian corporation established or Canadian limited company. The reason is, is the income tax rates on the Canadian limited company are a lot less than their personal tax rates. So their Canadian limited company can come into the United States and buy property directly. The tax rates for a foreign corporation are slightly larger than the tax rates for a U.S. corp. But if you have one property, you might as well just own it in a foreign corporation. If you start buying a portfolio, now all of a sudden we have to weigh: are the is the reduction of the tax rates significantly more than the compliance costs? And if it is, if they are, then it makes sense for us to get fancy. Yeah. So.
0: So just to help our listeners out here. Um with some definitions, a disregarded entity is simply an entity here in the U S that you don't need to file uh, a federal tax return for, because even though you have to file a form for it and correct me if I'm wrong, you still file a form at the end of the year. You're not actually doing a tax return. The numbers just flow straight to you personally or the holding entity of that disregarded entity. Correct?
1: Correct. Correct. So the disregard. So let's say I formed an LLC and I'm the only owner, the LLC itself doesn't file have to file a tax return it just goes on my personal return so yeah a disregarded entity I actually I like what you said I might start I might steal that from you it's just a non-tax reporting entity it it exists for um, asset protection for legal purposes as a separate entity but for tax purposes it's disregarded and it doesn't file a separate tax return
0: right okay to, to step back here and just to look at the bigger picture what you're saying is, foreign investors including canadians and maybe especially canadians can hold entities here in the us and there's a multi-layer approach here but uh if it's an llc that they are using to hold title uh this is actually a question does the llc have to file as a corporation or could it still be a disregarded entity that they hold within their lp or whatever other um, entity that they have in their foreign country
1: yes it could be a disregarded entity
0: okay Absolutely. <clears throat> so I did another episode podcast uh, or podcast episode on asset protection specifically. And, you know, I use the analogy that asset protection is really similar to the layers of an onion. You, you have the asset, which may be held in a trust, which may be held in an LLC, as an example. And then on top of that, you have your property insurance. And then maybe on top of that, you have an umbrella insurance policy. So you've got all these layers to the onion that provide asset protection, that can provide anonymity, um, and possibly even some tax benefits. And so it sounds like that's what you're describing. And it gets kind of, not so much confusing, but very detailed and granular. Um, But when you step back, really, that's all you're doing is you're just creating layers of of protection and privacy around that asset.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. You've got to weigh the costs versus the the peace of mind. I mean, we have client, we have one client, um, from Germany that they own 135 single family homes in the United States and they are very risk averse and they decided to, to form a corporation and that corporation here, owns 135 LLC's and each LLC only owns one home now that doesn't mean you have 135 bank accounts and federal ID numbers. It's just Because each LLC is disregarded. So for tax purposes, they still only file one return with all 135 properties uh, performance on that tax return, but from a compliance standpoint every LLC you have to pay an annual fee for and probably a registered agent now here in Michigan LLCs are pretty cheap to come by. Uh, same with Indiana. Uh, I know that in some of the other states that, that are out there, uh, you know, so an LLC is only $50 a year to renew. But in Texas, it's about $500 to form. California is $800 plus an $800 fee each LLC. Yep. So it really depends on what makes feasible economic sense for that client. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculously expensive in California, which is yet another reason to add to the long list of reasons why we don't recommend, uh, you know, investing in California, and we don't ever offer properties here in the state of California. Just it just doesn't make sense on so many levels. But anyway, that's side conversation.
1: Right. Exactly. I agree.
0: So you you know you you keep referring to FERPTA, which uh, you know for our, for our listeners, it's the Foreign Investment in Real Property Tax Act, and it's just a long name for. For basically a, a a tax act that defines you know what needs to be withheld, what the taxes are when you sell the property. Maybe touch upon that. What talk about the withholding, and you don't need to get into a lot of detail, but uh, you know just the, the legal way to work around that. And I know you've touched upon that, but also what about the sale of the property? Let's just say five ten years from now you have a foreign investor who's built a portfolio of 10, 20 properties here in the U S and now they want to start liquidating it for whatever reason. What happens at that point?
1: Right. Well, that's a great question. So what happens is, is if it's a, if it's a non-resident um, of the United States, they would be subject to the FERPTA withholding. And when the property sold 10% of the gross sales price of the property is going to be withheld for federal income tax, now, state taxes may apply. Um, obviously, states like Texas um, and Tennessee and Florida, by the way, that have a significant amount of investment going on in them don't have a state income tax. But, um, but that's a federal tax withholding. And what the, what the IRS or the government is saying here is that, well, we don't know what your profit is on this house, but, so we're going to keep 10% of the sales price. And you could file a tax return at the end of the year, and claim that back. You know, if, if you didn't if you didn't make a profit on it, let's say you lost money for some reason, um, or you made you didn't make as much a, didn't make a significant profit, then you'd get some of your FERP to withholding back. And that's assuming you don't do a 1031 exchange. Foreign nationals are absolutely eligible for a 1031 exchange, um, which is a which is a section of the tax code that talks about exchanging like kind property. So if you sell real property and you want to acquire another piece of real property, there are rules and and regulations that apply to such a transaction. But in theory, let's say you do that, then you wouldn't have to pay tax on that.
0: So in in, in plain English, just so everyone understands, the 1031 exchange is a tax deferred exchange. So you're selling property, taking that equity, what would essentially be realized gains, moving it into other property elsewhere in within the U.S. and doing that on a tax-deferred basis.
1: Correct, Okay. correct. You have to take the entire sales price, or you can do a partial 1031, but you are correct. Um, so FERPDA wouldn't apply to that. Uh, but let, let's say someone does say, so yeah, so you have 10% of your property sale Withheld, and then you have to file a tax return at the end of the year, which is not a big deal, except for people that have been negligent. I call we call them ostriches. They have put their head in the sand and not gotten an ITIN number, not I.E. have not in, identified themselves here in the United States as a taxpayer and have not filed a tax return. You won't get your FERPA money back, and that's that's some of the misconceptions here. Is foreign nationals will say, well. I rented it out, but I paid my property taxes, my property manager, and <clears throat> the kid next door to clean the swimming pool. I really have no profit, and plus, I never took the money out of the United States, so I don't have to file a tax turn, right? Well, that's not necessarily correct. Um, they still would need to file a tax turn here, and if they were ever to dispose of the property, um, they would be subject to FERPTA. They would also be exposing themselves to some issues if they were to pass away, and then the property goes into their estate. Um, one of the issues most likely, and I'm not a probate attorney, but one of the issues in probate would most likely be, is this person filed a tax return? Is this an income-producing property? So that's why a lot of our work actually is is centered around presenting for the National Association of Realtors, the National Association of Residential Property Managers on Compliance for the property managers. If your property is managed professionally, your property manager should have asked you for an ITIN number in a W-8 form. And if they don't have those two things, they should be withholding 30% of your gross rent if you're an investor. Some of the property managers, most of them that are not in compliance with the law, I would assume, uh, just don't know the rules. And that's why we've been on this renegade of educating. Some of them are ostriches. The issue here is that the go- the United States government and the IRS made in 2010 hired 1,500 new um, IRS collection agents, and just specifically to collect on this FUTA withholding on the rent, and uh, they made it a tier one issue. The IRS has since gotten away from the tiering of issues, but um, in layman's term, it's important to them. So. So is this with so that,
0: is this withholding only at the federal level, or are there states that also have withholding laws that require them to withhold?
1: Great question again. Cal, um, that's just the federal withholding. I know California has a withholding. Um, in Florida, if you if you have a vacation rental that the tenants stay six months or lots. There's a, there could be a, a franchise tax withholding. So you have to look at the municipalities and some and states. Some states have tax withholding, and you'd have to file, get that back. I mean, we've had clients come to us that they had withholding. They didn't even see it. Maybe they didn't read their statements. Um, and we're saying, well, you know, you probably should, let's go file a tax return and get this back. You didn't make, you know, no one is pay, No matter how good your property is producing, you're never better off paying 30% of your gross rent and tax. Right. You don't get the depreciation deductions, the property management fees, the real estate taxes, the insurance. You get none of those deductions if you just accept the withholding.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned retirement accounts a little while ago. Uh, I know Canada has the RRSP similar to you know the IRA in, in the US, and I'm sure... I can't remember what they call it in Australia. It's a super fund or something like that.
1: Yeah, super fund. In, yeah, in Australia, super annuization fund, I think.
0: Yeah, so different countries have different retirement accounts. Um, I, I know investors can use those, but from my understanding, it's it's quite difficult. There's limitations to how much of that account can be used for foreign investments, and 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 I don't know how the taxation works. So I, I, maybe you could quickly comment on that, you know, can they use retirement accounts? And and does it make sense to use retirement accounts if you're a foreign investor?
1: Right? Well, that's a really good question. Um, So they can use retirement accounts to buy property here. I know in in the UK, they call it a pension scheme. Um, Like I said, you said the Australian super fund and the Canadian um, retirement plan. And that we have a lot of clients uh, domestically that that use self-directed IRAs to invest in property. Um, the so is it a good idea? Well, we all you know in the tax in, in the world of taxation, the answer is it always depends. Um, if you're looking to diversify your portfolio, if you're looking to flip homes, and defer tax on it, it the idea gets better and better. If you have um, especially so let's talk about the U.S. resident, tax residents first. If you're a U.S. tax resident and you buy the property in a self-directed IRA, then we know that any, any tax on rental income and, and capital gains are deferred until you take the money out. I love the strategy of U.S. residents buying property in a Roth IRA because then it's all tax-free. That's just the best. Now, let's flip back to the foreign nationals. The, the IRA... So... I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to the domestic one more time. Sure. Self-directed IRA, self-directed Roth, self-directed SEPs, solo Ks, any self-directed domestic retirement plan is not subject to FERPTA. Self-directed foreign retirement plans are subject to FERPTA. And so the the United States government looks at that as, as as a foreign corporation, if you will, or a foreign individual. But we could still elect out of the withholding and we would just, you know, file a tax return and and they would have to pay tax on, on the net income. So I'm not saying it's a bad idea to do that. If someone's resources are limited and they, there's a good deal in front of them, then do it. I always say, Hey, 70% of a dollar is better than a hundred percent of zero. So if you have to pay some tax, that that's okay. But, um, so yeah, they are allowed here. And, um, and it's common. It's it's very common in, in some of the other countries that are loosening up their, their rules as far as taking retirement assets and acquiring property here. It's, it's becoming more prevalent. So.
0: Well, on the on the topic of of, of retirement, taking it to the next logical question, uh, what about? Uh, U.S. estate taxes, gift taxes. W- what is the exposure to foreign investors right. when it comes to U.S. estate and gift taxes? You know, on 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 their U.S. real estate.
1: Correct. And I'm going to preface this by a lot of the topics we're talking about today could be their own podcast. So I don't want someone to think that I'm omitting things just glossing over something that that isn't extremely important and that would you uh, warrants some attention and analysis. Oh yeah. But that being said. Um, estate tax, so obviously U.S. tax residents, uh, you have a $5.4 million exemption um, as far as you can pass away with that amount, that amount of assets and your beneficiaries don't pay any tax on the, re- the inheritance of an asset. Now obviously if those assets are in a retirement plan or an annuity that has some taxability to it, they might pay tax on it when they take the money out, but the simple transfer of assets is not taxable. A foreign national, their exemption is $60,000, not the $5.4 And we can creep up on that $60,000 pretty quickly.
0: Is that total or is that per year?
1: That's for their life. Wow. That's a that's a lifetime exemption for 60. Now, some countries, i.e. Canada, have um, carve-out language in the tax treaty that addresses estate tax. So... Even though it's a $60,000 exemption, they can, use a treaty exe- they can use treaty benefits and they can say, I'm going to give you an example. Real easy example. Let's say you have a Canadian owner. They have a million dollars of total personal assets. They have $100,000 of U.S. real estate. So 10% of their total assets are, is U.S. real estate. In that situation, they would get a $540,000 exemption here in the United States. 10% of our domestic $5.4 million exemption. It's not that simple. There's a lot of paperwork that's involved and a lot of planning that's involved. But the 30,000 foot view is if you're in a tax treaty friendly country like Canada, there is some relief from estate tax. But Marco, remember in the beginning when we touched on structuring, I mentioned the two tier structure where you, have a, where you own a domestic, U.S. domestic corp. That's your hedge against estate tax because corporations um, have a going concern. So a corporation's not subject to estate tax, and that's why we say we need to talk about our client's health, I mentioned, their age, their investment horizon, and what their plans are for the property. So there's so much that goes into it, and estate tax is a very, especially for non-residents, is a very complicated field um, that that warrants attention based on someone's situation. What they... You know, and then you look at, okay, do I form a trust? Uh, What type of trust is it? Do I form a trust in my country? Do I form a U.S. trust? Are the beneficiaries U.S. residents? We can run into so many issues. Is someone? I mean, someone could be a U.S. resident for tax purposes and a non-resident for estate tax. Or, Marco, someone could be a U.S. resident for estate tax and a non-resident for income tax. So we really have to look at the situation, how much time they spend here, what their intent in the United States is. Do they even come to the United States? Um, there's so many factors involved that like we said we we there seems like there's a ton of factors and there are but with a half hour talk with a client in doing you know hundreds of these tax returns and as a company we do about 3000 tax returns a year we know exactly what to what to ask for it's almost like speed dating right i mean yeah not that we're rushing the clients but we just know what to ask them yeah
0: well it's kind of like a funnel. you know what questions to ask in the beginning, and those answers are like a you know a logic diagram. you know yes, no, you follow it down and you know exactly where to go with the answer to each question. so you know we have to do that with our clients as well but uh, but that's just part of the process.
1: in the estate tax and off the top of my head, I, I believe it's forty forty five percent is the estate tax. so here's the so the proper planning has to be in place, but Mark, I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you have a younger, somewhat younger Canadian couple. They invest $200,000 here in the United States and and acquire property. Let's assume they're not eligible for any type of these, the treaty exemptions, et cetera, et cetera. And um, let's say the the property, let's say it's a single person. Okay, I'll just make it easier. They invest $200,000 in the U.S. They don't have a treaty exemption. So they have a bunch of property here worth $200,000 and they unexpectedly pass away. Well, their estate tax exposure would be approximately forty percent of one hundred forty thousand. So let's just be easy and say they have a they have a sixty thousand to seventy thousand dollar estate tax exposure. Well, with the proper planning, we can we can mitigate that exposure. And what that would mean is you have to look at um, what it, what are what are called U.S. situs assets and what are U.S. non-situs assets. And one non-U.S. situs asset would be proceeds from a term life insurance project uh, term life insurance policy so if the person's in decent health instead of them sacrificing all of that cash which they really don't have because they they own property here so if they don't have the life insurance here you know if they just have property here they have no cash to pay the estate tax and then it, the property either gets sold in a distress sale, which would still be subject to a 10% FERPTA, and it's just ugly. So with the proper planning, we, for that, that client and that amount of investment, we might, we might say, well, why don't we just buy a $100,000 term life insurance policy for the next 30, 20 to 30 years? And if something were to happen to you uh, prematurely, then the, the proceeds of the policy would go to pay the estate tax and any probate fees... And then your beneficiaries would, would simply inherit the houses without paying tax. So there are, there are strategies for the $200,000 investor, the $50,000 investor, the 2 million and the $20 million investor. It just depends on the client and, and that's what we have to do. We have to assess the situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We could, we could make three or four episodes out of all this content quite easily because it's, uh you know, it's, it's pretty involved and there's just a lot of rules and regulations and maybe it's not that complicated. Um, but when you, you know, when you look at this for the first time where you're, you're not sure what you need to do as a foreign, foreign national investor, you, you know, you have to plan your things properly. So you avoid, you know, taxation that you don't need to pay. You know, you've got your state planning in place. There's just a lot of things to consider.
1: Sure. And- there's a lot, and one of the things, the internet is an awesome resource, but it's also somewhat of an enemy because a lot of times clients or prospective owners, they try to do some research and they take one piece of the vast IRS tax code and they apply it to the wrong thing. And um, and that's, you know, so, so it isn't that complicated if you talk to the right people. It, it is complicated if you don't. It's just like, When if my engine blows out in my car, if I if I roll up to Walmart and think I'm going to get it fixed properly, I'm not. But if I go to an engine repair specialist, it's not that complicated for them. Yeah. So uh, you just got to have to find the right people and do a little bit of planning, and then um, and then go for it.
0: All right. So my so my last question, I didn't really want to go this down this road because it opens up kind of a whole bunch of other questions but if is a US citizen living abroad so they're a US citizen non-resident uh are, are they considered a foreign national investor or are they still taxed as a US citizen as if they uh were living in the
1: US right so that you're right this could be we could have a bunch of uh a uh, podcast on this one, but real quickly, a U.S. tax resident or a U.S. citizen that lived here, let's use a, a person in the military or so, um, someone that someone that was born in the United States, they own property here, and they move to another country. Um, they are a still a U.S. tax resident, and they're still taxed on their worldwide income, even if they, I've had clients retire to Costa Rica, and they say, "I don't care about health insurance because I can get whatever I need done rather inexpensively,", inexpensively and um, that's that's all I really care about. So I, I want to go, you know, be in nice weather. But um, yeah, if you if you leave the United States, but you, but you're a citizen here and you are a resident, then you are taxed on your worldwide income, no matter where you go. And you still have to file U.S. tax returns, especially if you want to ever come back here. Um, but you have to file U.S. tax returns. There are some tax advantages um, or tax benefits you could pick up, one of which would be the foreign income tax exclusion, if you qualify. Meaning you can make up to 90 I want to say ninety-three or $94,000. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. And um, not have to pay any U.S. tax on it. That's a foreign income tax exclusion. It's going to apply to a lot of people in the military, government contractors um, that go overseas uh, for an extended period of time. There's also something called the foreign tax credit. What the foreign tax credit does is it it gives you a credit on the United States tax return for any foreign taxes that you happen to pay um, in another country. Sometimes that's easy to figure out. Sometimes it's hard. Um, we had clients that were somewhat missionaries. I can't even remember if they moved to Egypt or somewhere in, in Africa, and they everything was based on a cash system. And they, I, you know, so we had to put together their income. And I said, "Well, how much tax did you pay there?" Well, we don't know. We just had to go give them, you know, five thousand units of whatever their currency was. I was, Okay, when'd you do that? Okay, well, then, uh, well, let's come up with some type of exchange rate and try to properly file your tax return here, but. Um, yeah, to not be considered a U.S. tax resident, even if you leave, you have to um, expatriate. And just because you, you move doesn't make you an expat. You might hear that, that, that I'm an expat because I live on a boat floating around, uh, um, you know, so the Pacific Ocean or, or the Mediterranean Sea. You're still a U.S. resident. Um, you, have to, you have to be to officially... Uh, renounce your citizenship and your tax residency. It's a formal process. It's very expensive. And what they do is they, they almost treat it like you died, and they take a snapshot of your assets, and, and, if you have, and you might have to pay an exit fee based on those assets. And someone like uh, um, uh, the found, some of the founders of Facebook did it right before they went public. They said, okay, here's my assets today. Let's pay the fee, and let's not be a U.S. resident anymore. And then establish residency, and a lot of people in the Cayman Islands, or this, that, another thing. So, and, th- and those are, um, like I said, I those are things that that we need, we can touch on. And and you touched on something that we talk about in our presentations a lot. Sometimes it's a simple question of what is this person, and it sounds ridiculous, but we have to can figure out is the person that I'm meeting with, let's say a prospective client, or we're meeting with via phone or Skype or in our office, are they a U.S. resident for tax purposes? Are they a non-resident? Are they a resident for state tax purposes? Are they a non-resident for state tax purposes? And sometimes it's a gray area, and we have to figure it out and have and put something we can hang our hat on. Yeah. And sometimes the clients want to be one thing and not the other. Sometimes they don't want to be one thing and not the other. And um, it, it gets murky sometimes, but we're always going to... Uh, the best things for our clients within the limits of the law and, and explain the situation to them in words that they can understand and, and help them.
0: Well, we can go on forever. It sounds like Chris. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: exactly. I know I do enjoy this stuff. So, um, well, maybe if, if, if it warrants uh, the attention, well, we could do another podcast on a, or someone on our team, uh, on, uh, on another subject matter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll look at doing another episode on, on, a on maybe a U.S. citizens living abroad or something to that effect. Um, so just in wrapping up here, is there anything else you'd like to share, that, you know, with our listeners before we wrap up, uh, anything I should have asked you that I didn't?
1: Well, my only advice is to definitely seek some advice before you invest in the United States. It can be a very, very profitable endeavor. Um, I appreciate their attention. I know their time is valuable. I appreciate anyone's attention and time. Um, if you want to contact me, I have a, a, a terribly long last name and a, a long email address, but I'm on Twitter at pic p i c c c p a. I'm on. Uh, I'm there. Please please reach out to me. I I promise I'll reach out back. Or you can check us out on the internet. Um, our website's a little lengthy, but it's us nonresidenttax.com. That's U.S. nonresidenttax.com. Finally, if you want to, like I said, any of your listeners, uh, we're more than happy to give them a half-hour complimentary consultation um, with myself or someone way more qualified than me. Uh, Please give us a call. Bobby is our marketing director, and that number is 888 434 seven seven nine one extension two zero two again 88-434-7791 8, 8, 8, 8, 4, 4, extension two zero two now i just feel like one of those las vegas uh pro, uh you know prognosticators oh, that's giving you my monday night guarantee get your money back from back again but that's all right um We're more than happy to help.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate that. This has been good. I'll put your contact information in the show notes. And, um, you know, so if listeners want to give you guys a call uh, or take advantage of that uh, consultation, they could, you know, go ahead and do that. I think it'll be worthwhile, especially if, uh, you know, you're already investing in the U.S. But if you're thinking about it, now's a good time to kind of lay that foundation properly right from the beginning.
1: Absolutely. And if you've already invested and you're feeling like, uh uh-oh, I don't like what this guy had to say don't be an ostrich let us know it's better to address any um exposure now instead of getting a nasty gram from the irs and then having to address it yeah
0: yeah we we have a client right now in in calgary canada i'm sure uh thinking just that you know did i start off on the right foot did i put the right entity in place so um So, no, this has been great information. I appreciate your guys' time. Uh, The information has been fantastic. I'm sure listeners will appreciate it, and and we'll certainly have you back in the future here for a related topic.
1: All right, Marco. Well, thank you very much, and uh, have a great rest of the day.
0: You too, Chris. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions about real estate or our turnkey properties, be sure to contact our investment counselors. You can go to noradarealestate.com or through our PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com website. Remember to subscribe. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you do so, just let me know through the email reviews at noradarealestate.com. Be sure to send us your mailing address and I will drop a free mug in the mail for you. It's our Keep Calm and Invest on coffee mug. I'd be happy to send you one. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode.